Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 448. Chapter 66. Within Easy Reach. Later that evening, I sat alone in what I guessed might be my drawing room. Or perhaps my sitting room. Honestly, I wasn't entirely sure what the difference was. I was surprised to find I liked my new rooms quite a lot. Not for the extra space, not because they had a better view of the garden, not because the inlay in the marble floor was more pleasing to the eye, not because the room had its own exceptionally well-stocked wine cabinet, though that was quite pleasant. No, my new rooms were preferable because they had several cushioned armless chairs that were perfect for playing my lute. It's uncomfortable to play for any length of time in a chair with armrests. In my previous rooms, I'd usually ended up sitting on the floor. I decided to dub the room with the good chairs my lutery, or perhaps my performatory. I would need a while to come up with something suitably pretentious. Needless to say, I was pleased by the recent turn of events. By way of celebration, I opened a bottle of fine, dark, florin wine, relaxed, and brought out my lute. I started quick and tripping, playing my way through Tin Tatatornin to limber up my fingers. Then I played sweet and easy for a time, slowly growing reacquainted with my lute. By the time I'd played... For about half a bottle, I had my feet up and my music was mellow and content as a cat in a sunbeam. That's when I heard the noise behind me. I stopped in a jangle of notes and sprang to my feet, expecting Codicus or the guards or some other deadly trouble. And that's the page. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Now we know what's about to happen. We know that the sound at the door is the mayor coming through. But certainly, if I if I think about what it was like reading this page initially, I had like a like a horror. I like I sort of remember this sequence as being like a like a horror scene moment. And I was like, oh no, like this is gonna totally change the book into a horror movie. And of course, it wasn't because that's totally outrageous. Why on earth would a book change from what it is to a horror movie all of a sudden? Um, but, like, my anxiety brain was just like, everything's gonna go wrong and he's gotta get eaten by a closet monster. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think that's an entirely unreasonable thing to think because we have grown used to, in this book, to, like, sudden reversals of fortune for good or ill, right? Oftentimes, when Quoth thinks he's on top or he's just won a victory, that's when the rug gets snatched out from under him or some new problem presents itself. And... It's also not unreasonable to think that Codicus might come looking for him because Codicus escaped and he would have every reason in the world to want to get back at Quoth for like ruining his life. Yeah, I'm just, I'm super sucked into Quoth's anxiety on this page. Like it's, it was it's very believable, very much like, yes, these bad things are definitely going to happen. Whereas earlier when he was sort of catastrophizing about other stuff, I feel like I was less invested in it. But on this page, I'm convinced for some reason. I think it might have something to do that. Like, this is a more relatable kind of 
startlement to me. Like if you've ever been alone in a house or thought you were alone in a house or your apartment or whatever, and then heard a sudden noise, it's scary. It's like, what the hell was that? There's no one else here but me. Who made that? It was a ghost. It was a demon. It was a demon ghost. And it's usually just like something that like got jostled off a shelf. Yes, exactly. I also, I mean, I do live with this, with another person, but previous to the pandemic, we didn't always know when each other were home. So sometimes Jeff would get home before me, but keep the lights off and like hide in a corner. And then I would like, he'd hear the elevator. So he'd hear that I was coming down the hall. So he'd like hide and then I'd come home and he'd jump out and I'd freak out. And like, this is the exact same feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I could high five Jeff right now. Delightful. I'll let him know what, I'll let him know what you say. Good praxis. We, we try and scare each other all the time, but it's just, he's more successful. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, definitely the feeling on this page. Just, a, I guess it's like a really basic human instinct kind of dread. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the rest of this page, though, is super pleasant. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, man, I feel so nice. Quoth has like a nice room to relax in with a nice view of the garden. He's got his own wine cabinet so he can get, you know, he's like, he's having such a good day. He's just like getting a little day drunk and playing his lute. Yeah. And I think it's funny because he's, he's saying like, I really loved my rooms for a reason, but it's not this amazing reason. And it's not this other amazing reason. And it's not this other amazing reason. It's this very mundane thing about chairs. <laughs> yeah, well, and that ties into what he's told us before about how he felt about his old rooms. Like they were obviously very like luxurious rooms in a lot of ways, but they weren't right for him. Right. It also feels like a weird humble brag, though. <laughs> like I imagine Coat or Quoth, like frame narrative Quoth, who is telling this story to Chronicler, is doing a bit of a humble brag. As well, you should. When you have a nice hotel room, you should tell people how nice your hotel room was. Reasonable, I suppose. You want other people to feel envy of you and to know that they'll never be as cool or as good as you are. Unless they also get a cool hotel room. Impossible! (laughs) Also, Florian wine. So close to Florian. (laughs) Yes, so close to Florian. Interesting. I Also, it sounds a bit like floral, right? Like flowers. It also sounds a bit like Florin, which is a place in the Princess Bride. And I can't remember if it's a real place or not. There is a currency called the Florin, which I believe was an Italian currency. And uh, it might be related to the city-state of Florence, mm. which is was and is a city in Italy. But of course, in Italian, it's Firenze, not not Florence. That's the English word for it. Yeah. But like Florin and Gilder are the two places in The Princess Bride also. Yeah. And a Florin and a Gilder are both forms of currency oh, in that makes the sense. olden days. Yeah, this, this word feels like so many other words. Definitely Ooh. on purpose. Yeah, it's evocative. Uh, it's evocative. Also, I appreciate that there's the small detail here where he counts time in how much wine he's drunk. Not in actual time. I'd played for about half a bottle. Yeah. So not, not an actual measurement of time. We don't know how quickly he drinks, but (laughs) we get the idea. 
Yeah, and I feel like he's he can't be drinking that quickly because he needs both hands to play his lute, right? So he's like he's gonna play a few bars, or he'll play until he makes a mistake, and then he'll stop and have a you know have a couple of sips of wine, Jeremy, and then go back Fos to playing. Doesn't make mistakes. What are you talking about? He says, I'm he kidding. says, and this is a this is another kind of humble brag. He says, I started quick and tripping, playing my way through Tin Tatatornin to limber up my fingers. So uh, when I was playing piano, you would always start like I would always start practicing by like practicing a progression of simple chords or or arpeggios. So like not really a song, just like a simple exercise to get your fingers moving in the ways that your hands have to be able to move so you can actually play like complicated piano songs. So you have to be able to like, you know, stretch your, you know, your thumb and your middle finger so you can hit that third and then get, you know, to the rest of the chord that you're playing because you're going all the way up the keyboard. There's like a way your hands have to move to make that fluid and easy. Part of the reason that you always, that you practice by doing those things is to like warm yourself up and get your hands used to doing that. Quote. He doesn't say, I started playing some like simple, simple scales and arpeggios. He starts playing a hellaciously difficult song that we know is hellaciously difficult because he's played it before and made it look really easy. And not only is it a hellaciously difficult song, but he also hasn't played his lute in a long time. So he is humble bragging to us of saying, my warm up was I played this super really hard song. And sure, you know, I fumbled a few times, but you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah, that is a big humble brag. <laughs> That's definitely worse than the humble brag I had viewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once his fingers are limbered up, he's just kind of like sitting there strumming his lute, having a great time. And I love that for him. Uh, I've had a relatively lazy weekend this weekend, uh, and it's great. I recommend it to everybody. There are no lazy weekends in May. <laughs> Whom amongst us does not wish to be mellow and content as a cat in a sunbeam? That does seem lovely. I also feel like that's not the first time that he's talked about cats and sunbeams as like a thing that he compares himself to. You know, I feel like when you're writing a series of books that must come to like 500,000 words easily, if not a million words, you're allowed to reuse the same metaphor every once in a while. That's my attitude. Yeah, especially because it's such an evocative metaphor. Yeah. Like who has, who has not been a cat in a sunbeam at some point? That's right. And you can also like excuse it by saying that it's a metaphor that Quoth would use often, that it's a metaphor that Quoth likes to use, right? I am out of notes. I also am out of notes, except to say that Quoth, you know, relaxing and strumming his lute really reminds me of the Disney uh, Robin Hood cartoon. Uh, And uh, in that cartoon, the character of Will Scarlet, who is the sort of the bard of Robin Hood's Merry Men, is is a rooster. He's a rooster, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, and he's always like strumming his lute, playing, you know, Little John and Robin Hood walking through the forest. Yeah. And we will oodalali oodalali golly what a day with you, dear listener, on tomorrow's page. Uh, the Wind. Wind.